Father in heaven, our hearts can sing no other name but the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. The prize of heaven, the glory of heaven, the crown of heaven, and the King of our hearts. Lord Jesus, we love you. And Lord, we, we've gathered today because to, it's the Lord's day and we've come to worship you in spirit and truth as you said in John chapter 4 and then Lord we've come to hear from your voice to hear your, your audible voice as we read the words from the pages of scripture you speak to us Lord so Father I just pray for the ministry of the Holy Spirit and the ministry of the word that Father as we study it God, it won't be me speaking, but it'll be you speaking through me as we work our way through the church at Sardis. Speak to our hearts today, Lord, for we love you and we praise you and we magnify you in the mighty name of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. All God's people said, amen. Amen. You may have a seat. Guys, I hope you all been blessed by the study. Uh, the, we've been going, uh, I've been so tempted to do two churches, but each week I go into my studies and I look at the next church there in the book of Revelation and I can only get through one church because there's so much there. But I, my hope and my prayer is that you have been blessed as we've been studying the seven churches at the book, in the book of Revelation. Um, there's really two views on these seven churches. Some people see each church as, as, as a representation of each church that we see in our culture and we see around us. In other words, every church could probably find their place in one of these seven churches, whether it be good or bad. And some other people see these as the, um, the seven dispensations, the, the seven stages the church will go through from the time of Christ to the rapture of the church. And we'll talk more about that when we get to the seventh church, which is Laodicea. And everybody knows just by that name, Laodicea, it's the, the lukewarm church. So we'll, we'll dive a little more into that, that view. And, uh, but for now, we're, just, we're looking at each church and we're asking ourselves, what can we learn from this church? You know, there's, there's a lot of great churches in, in our area, and I, and I hope and believe that we're one of those. You know, and there's been churches for the past 2,000 years that have done things well. But as with all churches, including Calvary Chapel Irmo, we have our strengths and we have our weaknesses. And what we want to do as the body of Christ is we want to strengthen our church in those areas of weakness. We want to please Christ at Calvary Chapel Irmo. That is my goal. That is my vision in preaching, teaching, praise and worship, fellowship, everything that takes place here. I want it to honor Christ because I want you to see the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want you to leave here loving Christ more. Amen? So this morning, we're going to continue with uh, uh, the fifth church. So please turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 3. We're, looking, we're only looking at six verses this morning. But, uh, but I, I want to open up with uh, Revelation chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, so we can get our minds pointed in the right direction. But Revelation chapter 3, verses 1 through 6 says, To the angel of the church in Sardis write, he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this, I know your deeds, that you, had, you have a name and that you are alive, but you are 
dead. I was going to read verses 1 through 6, but I want to stop right there. Because what a tragic statement. Can you think of a worse statement to hear from the words of Christ? Personally, or even as a church, he says, you are dead. So that's the title of my, of my message this morning, is we're looking at the church at Sardis, and it is the dead church. I want to bring up a map, just a quick review of the churches that we've gone through. We have a map, I believe. There we go. So we've been studying the seven churches. Just a quick review. Man, there is so much to be studied in each one of these churches. If you study the historical background, what was taking place in the church, and what Christ had to say, there is so much to learn. But what did we learn about Ephesus? Do we remember that? They were the what? The loveless church. Christ said to them, they left their first love. It's Smyrna. What was the deal with Smyrna? Smyrna was the suffering church. Remember, they had the bishop. His name was Polycarp. And in 160 AD, he was burned at the stake. They endured intense persecution. Then you move up to Pergamum. Pergamum, the city of Pergamum, was the capital of Asia Minor in the first century. And at the church of Pergamum, we, we looked at all the idols and all the temples that were there in, in Pergamum. And the, and the ruins are still there to this day. But the church at Pergamum was the church of compromise because they were surrounded by all the pagan religions and some of the Christians, they were partaking of Christianity and the pagan religions, and that's compromise. Then we looked at the church at Thyatira. Who in the book of Acts is from Thyatira? Lydia. Lydia, Acts chapter 16, she was the seller of purple. And the text specifically says she was from the church of Thyatira. Thyatira was a city of trade guilds. That was like unions. It was a hard working town, a hard working people. But the th church at Thyatira, what was their issue? We looked at it last Sunday. They tolerated false teachers. And Christ corrects them for that. And so this morning, we come to Sardis. We come to Sardis. And as I said earlier, Sardis is known in biblical history as the dead church. Sardis was located 30 miles south of Thyatira in the valley of the Hermes River. The city of Sardis was founded in 1200 BC. It was the capital of the Lydian kingdom with their most famous king named Croatius overseeing them. Much of Sardis' wealth came from gold that was mined in the nearby Pactolus River. Sardis is where gold and silver coins were first minted. That's pretty cool. The city's primary object of worship was the goddess Celebi, which was the same goddess worship at Ephesus that they called Artemis. Hot springs not far from Sardis were celebrated as a spot in which the Greek gods manifested their supposed power to give life to the dead. That was who they looked to in the pagan world to give life. But Christ says to this church, you are dead. And thankfully in the text this morning, after we see the issue of them being dead, I praise the Lord because Jesus gives them the remedy. He gives them the, the step by step how to return, how to come back to life. So this morning, let's zoom in close to Revelation chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, looking at the church at Sardis. Take a look at verse 1. Revelation chapter 3, verse 1 says, To the angel of the church in Sardis write, He who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this, 
I know your deeds and that, and that you have a name, but you are alive, but you are dead. Now, the first thing, we, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, but I just want to refresh everyone's memory in case you're wondering, what are the seven spirits of God? He's, basically, there's a representation there at the throne of God, and the seven spirits of God is a reference, I believe, to the sevenfold ministry of the Holy Spirit. And the sevenfold ministry of the Holy Spirit that was there in the Old Testament that I believe is there for us today is found in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2, where Isaiah the prophet says, And the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and strength, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. See, the Holy Spirit is active in his body, okay? He's active in the true church. And what is he doing? He's, he's bringing these things and making them real in the body of Christ. He gives us wisdom. What is wisdom? Wisdom is the art of skillful living. Ladies and gentlemen, do you want to live skillfully? We need that in our day and age. We need wisdom. And wisdom comes from the Holy Spirit. We need understanding. In other words, we need to see the the world with a biblical worldview. We need to understand the times that we're living in. We need to understand the perilous times we're living in. And it's through the Holy Spirit that, that God enables us to have understanding. And there's counsel. You know, when we need counsel, we go to the Lord. The Holy Spirit gives us. When we need strength, as the verse talks about, the Holy Spirit gives us strength. And the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord when the Holy Spirit works in our hearts and we trust in Christ, he gives us an understanding that God is holy and there's a holy reverence for him. But here in verse 1, the seven spirits of God, I believe, is a reference to the sevenfold ministry of the Holy Spirit. And how applicable is it that he's mentioning the Holy Spirit here considering, what Sardis, is, considering Sardis is dead? Because one of the things to bring a, a church back to life is you need the Spirit of God. You need God to open up the top and pour out his Holy Spirit. Unless the Holy Spirit is poured out on our hearts, unless we experience a revival, it's all for nothing. But with the word of God and the spirit of the Lord, we can be revived. And notice, notice also he says there, and to the seven stars says this. What are the seven stars in verse 1? If you go back to Revelation chapter 1, verse 20, it will tell you the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. Now, that word angels in the Greek is angelos. Is angelos. And in the New Testament, it's translated two different ways. It's translated in some, some passages as angels, some passages as messengers. And that has led many theologians and scholars and pastors, including myself, to believe he's talking about the leader of the church. He's talking about the leader of the church. So those are the two gifts the Holy, that God gives to the church. He gives his Holy Spirit, and he gives pastors, and he gives leaders, and he holds them in the palm of his hand for ministry. But look at what he says. Jesus wastes no time in this description of the church. The second half of verse 1, he, he gets straight to the point. Uh, I like that about the Lord Jesus. He don't beat around the bush. He says, he just lays the wood. This is the issue. And the issue is there in the second half of verse 1 where he says, I know your deeds and you have a name and that you are alive, but you are dead. Jesus is like, I know what's going on in this city. I know your works. And you have a reputation for being alive, 
But he says, but you are dead. You are a dead church. There's no life in you. When, when, when we say when someone's dead, there's, there's no life in them. This church was a spiritual corpse. They, they were dry bones. That was their issue. That was their issue is that, is that they were dead. Now, how do you identify a dead church? A dead church is a, is a church that's not um, doing the things that the Bible talks about. You know, we, we just can't come in here and do church any way we want to. Okay, it's not my decision. It's not your decision. It's the word of God's decision. We do things by the church. How do you know a pastor's job? How do you know my job description? Read the pastoral epistles, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. As a pastor, by the authority of scripture, I submit to those instructions in, in, in doing church. And that's what keeps us alive is we're con- I'm continually pointing you guys to Christ, saying, man, yield to the Holy Spirit and, and do what the Scripture says. And that keeps you alive on the inside. For the most part, no church starts off dead. Because uh, to, to, to be dead implies there was once life. So I want to go down the trail here for a minute, and, and I want to talk about how does a church become dead? How does a church become dead? I want to share with you three stages a church goes through in becoming a dead church. Now, stage one uh, is where we all want to be, okay? And this is called a missional church. We want to be a missional church. Being a missional church is glorious. It's beautiful. It's exciting. It shakes the foundation of the culture around you because you're doing the things that the scripture tells you to do. You're evangelizing, you're praying, you're teaching the word. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is taking place within the body. There's fellowship. There's just this excitement in the air because God is the one behind it, okay? So a church that is alive is a church that is reaching out into the community and evangelizing. They're coming together for prayer and seeking the Lord and continually asking him and, and to, to show us his will to do those things. They're teaching the word. They love to study the word of God. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Psalms chapter 19 verse 7 says, The, the law of the Lord is perfect in converting the soul. What is it that converts the soul? The law of God, the word of God, it revives, it comes into our hearts, it comes into our minds, and it changes us. But unfortunately, over time, if a church loses their focus and a church moves away from evangelism, prayer, teaching the word, ministry of the Holy Spirit, fellowship, uh, they slowly drift away. They no longer become a missional church, and then, unfortunately, they turn into a museum. They turn into a museum. What is a museum? Think about it. When you go to a museum, what do you see? You see artifacts. You see relics. You see pictures of the past. See, a, a, a museum church, a, a, a church that's, that's gone from missional and left those things to being a museum, they're always reflecting on the past while nothing is happening in the present. It becomes all about past accomplishments, 
oh, praise the Lord. You remember when this happened and, and this miracle happened and this prophecy took place and this person got saved? All those glorious events that take place in the church, they're all an ancient past. They've they're all, they all been forgotten. Churches that are like museums are stuck in the past. It, it goes from Holy Spirit ministry to liturgy and tradition and just going through the motions. And that's a museum. Now, what does a church, this, uh, the museum st state uh, step need to do? They need to go back to being missional. They need to go back to the foundation of doing what Christ says, doing what the word says when it comes to evangelism, prayer, teaching the word, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, fellowship. Church needs to be exciting. The things that once made it great, they fade into the past and they become a museum. And then if they continue down that path and they don't return to being missional, what happens next? What's the third stage? They become a morgue. They become a morgue, as Jesus is talking about here. The church becomes dead. Why? Because God has left the building. The Holy Spirit has left the fellowship. All the activities of a missional church are completely gone. Like a morgue, the church at this final state of death, they're filled with a bunch of dead bodies. The air is cold. They're like a morgue, and there's one person that's moving them around. They are all spiritual zombies. Family, we can't get to that place. We, can't, we, don't, we, we don't even want to become a museum, much less a morgue. You know, we, we want to go back to being missional. The things that start a church in the very beginning, the evangelism, the prayer, the fellowship, the Bible study, the things that a church starts off with should be the exact same things that carry a church throughout its entire, entire life. You know, the thing from, we, we began Calvary Chapel in 2015, and till the Lord returns 20 years from now, we are going to continue to do the same things that brought us to where we're at today, which is evangelism, prayer, teaching the word, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, fellowship, loving one another, caring for one another, being there for one another, praying for one another, seeking the Lord with all of our hearts, okay? We don't have, we don't have to reinvent church, okay? You know, it's already, it's already been laid out for us. In, in the text, praise the Lord. I'm, I'm the kind of guy, I'm a simple-minded person. I like to follow instructions. I like to follow instructions. And I have found that the instructions in the word of the Lord are the very best instructions to follow when it comes to doing church and keeping the church alive. But this begs the question, after a church reaches this state of being a morgue, is there any hope? Is there any hope for a dead church? How can they be revived? How can they be resuscitated? And the answer is, they can be resuscitated. Look at verse 2. Look at the first two words. Wake up. He says in verse 2, wake up. It's like Jesus is coming up to them and saying, hey, wake up. He's shaking them. Get some water. Splash it in their face. That's what he says to the church. Wake up from your sleep. Wake up from your slumber. And understand spiritual realities. And then come completely and wholeheartedly after Christ. Rekindle your love for the Lord Jesus Christ is what he says. Maybe you feel like you're asleep. 
And Christ is saying prophetically to you today through the scriptures, through this pastor, wake up. Wake up spiritually. Um, Ephesians chapter 5 verse 14 says, Paul says, for this reason, it says, awake sleeper and rise from the dead and Christ will shine upon you. If you will wake up, if we will wake up, if, if people that aren't spiritually alive will just wake up and, and open the word, it says, uh, Christ will shine on you when we wake up. What the church needs today more than anything is revival. Revival. They need a great awakening, a spiritual awakening. You know, and what's, to, I believe the best way for a spiritual awakening is to do the things that, I, that the scripture says that we are to do, which is preach the word in season, out of season, correct, rebuke, train, so that the people of God can be thoroughly equipped. People need to know what the Bible says. You know, Sunday morning should be a Bible study. Sunday morning should be about us opening up the text and seeing what the scripture says. That's what will wake us up. And then he says, continuing in verse 2, he says, after he says, wake up, he says, strengthen the things that remain. Strengthen the things that remain which are about to die. That phrase, strengthen the things that remain, he's basically saying there, take inventory and assess where you're at. And may I also add, be honest. Be honest with the Lord. He sees your heart. He sees my heart. And we just need to be honest. We need to look at ourselves, evaluate our spiritual walk, and just say, this is where I'm at. And once, you come to a, once we come to a place of complete honesty, and we say, Lord, this is where I'm at, then you give him something to work with. Then you give him something to work with. After we take inventory and we strengthen the things that remain, we see what, what's left of our spiritual foundation and we start building those things back up. He continues in verse 2. He says, For I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. So verse 3, So remember what you have received and heard and keep it. There's an important word there at verse 3. It's remember. He says, so remember what you have received and heard and keep it. Remember what? Remember what it was like when you first came to Christ. The unspeakable joy, the excitement you had in becoming a Christian. It was like when I became a Christian, it was like, it was like a whole new world. A whole new world enveloped around me. I saw things differently. My spiritual eyes were open. We need to remember that, family, as Christians. Because over time... We have a tendency to, to fade away. Over time, we have a tendency to drift. And what we need to do is remember. Remember what it was like when you first came to Christ. The love, the fellowship, the joy, the excitement, the joy of the Lord. And let's return to those things. Remember what it was like when you first experienced forgiveness. So there's a, there's a remembering. So one, we wake up. According to verse 2, how to revive a dead church, we wake up. Number two, we strengthen the things that were, which remain. We take inventory. We assess our, our situation, our spiritual condition. We find those things that are still semi there, and we build them back up. And number three is we remember. We remember the glory days. And we say, you know what? I want to go back to being missional. I want to go back to living a life where I see my service to Christ as a mission, 
okay? That's what we need to view our, our walk with Christ like, our, our Christian walk. We're on this planet for a mission, and that mission is to serve Christ. And then he says there at the beginning of verse 3, he says, and repent, and repent. That word repent simply means change your mind and go in the other direction. Don't go after the world, but turn your heart and go to, towards Christ. Ask God to turn your heart completely towards him and return to Christ with all your heart. Remember his great love for you, okay? And when we talk about the love of God, we have to talk about the cross. Because Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says, God demonstrates his own love for us. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You know, one of the things that keep me going as a Christian is simply this. I think about Jesus' death on the cross. I think about what he endured, and he did it for me. Well, if he died and went to the cross for me, by golly, I can live my life for him because he is worthy. Verse 3 continues. He says, therefore, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come to you. Jesus is saying, hey, he's telling this dead church, he's telling the church at Sardis, if you fail to do this, my judgment will come, and you will solidify yourself as a morgue. So how do we, how do we bring a church back to life? We got to get back to the Bible. We got to get back to the Bible. That's the, that's the overarching principle of, of bringing a church, bringing a body of believers back to life is getting back to the Bible, getting back to evangelism, reaching out to our loved ones, sharing the gospel with them, sharing with them the message of the cross, the message of his resurrection, the command to repent, the blessing of the new life that Christ offers them, the new heart, the Holy Spirit. You know, we got to get back to those things. Prayer. You know, we got to be filled with faith and we got to be a praying people. You know, I believe God answers prayer and that needs to be our attitude. We need to have faith we need, and we need to be a praying people. We need to be opening the Bible. It's just opening the scriptures written 2,000 years ago. It opens our hearts this is how we bring a church back to life. And then fellowship. Fellowship. You know, one of the things that brings a church back to life is you guys, us, churches all around, that keeps us alive, keeps us going, is the fellowship. And that fellowship is our relationships with each other and our sharpening. The Bible says, just as, one man, just as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. That brings a church back to life. Let's continue, verse 4. Verse 4, but, but you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments, and they will, walk, they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He uses this phrase here, they have not soiled their garments. He actually uses, there's actually two metaphors in verse 4, and the first one is, they have not soiled their garments. This is a metaphor meaning that they're living for Christ. 
There are people there that are living for Christ. And we see this in all the churches. We saw this in the church last week at Thyatira. There were people there that were tolerating the teachings of Jezebel, but there were also faithful believers there also. And there's faithful believers here that weren't soiling their garments. That, that metaphor, soiling their garments, means uh, they were not doing that, is they, they were walking in obedience. Jesus said, if you love me, you will what? Keep my commands. You will keep my commands. Our obedience in our, our everyday living is, is the um, measure of our faith. We say we believe, and, and praise the Lord for belief and faith and trust, but that belief, faith, and trust should be followed by a, a walking, a life of obedience. And then he says, he says they will, I love this phrase, they will walk with me in white. Now, when I first read that verse, you know, it made me think about heaven. And I praise the Lord for that. One day, we will, walk, we will walk in heaven. We will be clothed in white. We will not be angels with harps on clouds floating around in la-la land. None of that's biblical. But we'll be walking on the streets of gold. But I couldn't help but to think of this, the, um, the, the, the color. The color here. He says, they will walk with me in white. Another thing that came to my mind as I was looking at that word white in verse 4 is this. It's a picture of a clean heart. It's a picture of a clean heart. This is what happens when people return to Christ and they go from death to life. He gives them a clean heart by the blood of Christ, by his sacrifice on the cross. You see, sin brings a cold, dark heart, but Jesus brings a white heart, a clean heart, a free heart, a freedom in Christ to serve him with all of our lives. And, and notice it says, for they are worthy. I kind of struggle with that phrase because I, I'm, I'm like, no, Lord, we're not worthy, but you are worthy. But Christ says, how much, he, 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 I, I was given a gospel track back in the 90s, and I still have it on my desk today. And uh, it says, how much are you worth? It's a gospel, how much are you worth? And you open it up, and it says, God says you're worth the death of his son. So we are worth, there is worth in us. There is value in us. God's love in us. He, he created us. We are created in his image, okay? So he says, he says for they are worthy. In verse 5, he says, He who overcomes will thus be clothed in a white garments, and I will not erase his name from the book of life, and I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. This word overcome in verse 5 says, He who overcomes. Overcoming implies that there is a battle to living the Christian life. And to that, I say, Amen. There is a battle. There is a fight. You know, before I was a Christian, when I was in the world, there was no battle. There was no spiritual fight. It wasn't until I became a believer in Christ that I fully understood this spiritual battle that takes place in the world. Every believer fights against Satan and demons and spiritual warfare. That's what the scripture says. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, it says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, 
and against the powers and against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. We see a physical world. We see this black ceiling. You know, you walk outside and you see the blue sky. You see the sun. At night, you see the stars and you see the universe. But there is a spiritual realm that we cannot see where there are demonic activities and there's Satan and there are angels and there is a war taking place in our world today between light and darkness, okay? Between angels and demons. There is a war that's taking place in the heavenlies for your soul. Do you know that? There's a war taking place. There's a, there's a battle against you. Our arch enemy, Satan, dispatches his demons to send them out into the world to distract Christians, to, to knock them off their horse, to cause them to fall. He attacks. So there's a real war that takes place. Every believer fights. Not only is there a spiritual warfare, but every believer fights in, in, in this battle against temptation and just in general against the ungodly culture in our pursuit to serve Christ. 1 Timothy 6.12 says, Fight the good fight of faith. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called, and you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. You know, fight the good fight. In other words, put on your spiritual boxing gloves and fight. Say, I'm going to let nothing stand in the way of serving Christ. And whatever temptation I'm facing, whatever difficulty I'm facing, in the name of, in the, name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I am going to win this battle. Friends, you can win the battle. You can win the fight. How? By doing what we're doing right now. By getting into the word. Letting the word of God wash your mind, wash your heart. Being yielded to the Holy Spirit. We can win the fight. And I want you to notice, look at verse 5. Look at verse 5 again. Uh, Revelation chapter 3. Notice the two I wills. Man, I love these. They're, they're like words of encouragement from Christ. The, the first one, he says, I will not erase his name from the book of life. In other words, he's saying, Christian, keep fighting the good fight. I am for you. And if I am for you, who can be against you? And your name's not going to be blotted out of the book of life. So fight the good fight. Jesus says, I will. This is an imperative statement. I will not. That's important. I will not erase his name from the book of life. The book of life is mentioned eight times in the New Testament, seven times in the book of Revelation. In the book of life, we're told in Scripture that there is a book in heaven called the book of life. And when you put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Okay? And I'm an eternal security guy. I don't, I don't believe nothing can separate you from the love of God. And he says here, Jesus emphasizes it here. He says, I will not erase his name from the book of life. If I was a Christian at Sardis and I heard those words, I will not erase his name from the book of life, that would give me the encouragement to keep fighting the good fight, to keep doing the right thing, to keep serving Christ. And the second I will, halfway through verse 5, he says, I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He says, Jesus says to you, Christian, stay the course. Serve Christ. 
Because one day, Matthew, and to all my brothers and sisters in here, I could put your name in there. He's like, one day, I'm going to confess your name before my Father and before his holy, holy angels. One day, we're going to step out of this world. We're going to step into the glory. And Jesus is going to say, this one is with me. Well done, thy good and faithful servant. Enter into the presence of your master. But these are words of encouragement. I love these words from Jesus. I will. That, that, that phrase, I will, is, it's a word of, of sovereignty. It's a word of complete control. You know, I'm going to see you through this. You will make it. And one day you will stand before me. And your name is written in the book of life and you will not be erased. Verse 6. Our final verse this morning. He says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. Again, family, what is the Holy Spirit speaking to us? I believe as we study each book here, each, each church in the book of Revelation, he's speaking a different thing to us. And what he's saying to us this morning is simply this. Don't die spiritually. Okay? Don't die spiritually. Do not let the flame that the Holy Spirit has placed inside of you, do not let that light go out. Fight like nobody's business. Make your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ your top priority in life and let nothing stand in the way. Why? Because God is faithful and God is sovereign and he's encouraging us. He's imploring us to stay the course. In closing, what is the application for us today? What can we learn um, from Sardis? You know, we've talked about the, the, the church being dead, this, this church at Sardis being dead, and they needed to get back to the, the Bible things, but I want to I take it down on a Christian level for each individual believer here. What can you, what can you learn from Sardis in your walk with Christ? It is simply this, be missional in serving Christ, meaning this, your own mission in this life and your mission is to serve Christ, okay? Let that be the focus of your life. The devil wants you to end up like Sardis and be spiritually dead, but Christ is for you and he, encourage you, he encourages you this morning to stay the course, be missional, do those things that we talked about evangelism, prayer, teaching the word, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Be in fellowship and stay alive. Stay alive. I want to close with five principles. Five principles of being missional and serving Christ so that you don't end up like Sardis. Again, those are really tough words for the church at Sardis there to hear, to hear from your Lord and Savior, not you are alive, but to hear that you are dead. That would be tragic. I don't want to hear those words from my Lord, and I hope that you don't either. So we're taking this down to a Christian level, your walk with Christ. I want to give you five ways that you can continue to serve Christ and be missional in serving him. This is the, the meat and potatoes of your Christian walk. Number one is the word. You got to have the word, okay? If you don't have the word, you will dry up. 
you need to spend quality time reading your Bible. Not just on Sunday morning, but reading it daily. You know, some people talk about getting up early in the morning. Whether you, whether you do it in the morning, afternoon, or evening, that's between you and the Lord. But whatever time you do, do it. Spend quality time. You know, maybe you haven't been reading your Bible a lot. Just start off reading three or four verses. You know, each day, be consistent in spending time in the Word. And hopefully over a period of time, that will grow to where you're reading more than two or three verses. But maybe you're reading a chapter a day. But to stay alive and not die spiritually, number one, is you've got to be reading the Bible for yourself. And you can't be trusting in the pastor to, to feed you the Word, but read it for yourself. Number two, worship. Number two is worship. This will keep you alive spiritually. We have to be people of, of worship. You know, and when I'm, when I'm talking about worship, I'm, you know, our, our lifestyle, the Scripture says, how we live for Christ is worship. But I'm really speaking more specifically here about music. But, you know, spend time worshiping the Lord in song, just like we do on Sunday mornings. Do that at home. Play some Christian music in your home. Play your favorite Christian worship music and worship God in your house. You, don't have to, you, you can worship God seven days a week. When you're going down the road, when you're, when you're heading to work in the morning or you're coming home, Listen to Christian worship music. Now listen, do me a favor. Keep your eyes open. Don't close your eyes and, and don't lift your hands. Keep your hands on the steering wheel. But you can worship the Lord going down the road just by listening to Christian worship music. Put your favorite worship music in and worship him with all your heart. Number three, to keep us from dying spiritually is we need to be people of prayer. We need to be people of prayer and we need to spend time in our prayer closet. We need to find that secret place in our home, at our work, uh, preferably somewhere at home, but we need to find that secret place and spend alone time with God. Just you and the Holy Spirit where you open your Bible and you read it and you pray and you ask the Holy Spirit to minister to you and you spend quality time and prayer. You praise him. You adore him. You exalt him. You lift him up in prayer. And then you bring your request before the Lord. You let him know what's going on. He already knows what's going on in your life, but you know what? He'd like to hear it from your lips. But, but share those deep things with the Lord. Spend time with prayer. Talk with him just like you talk with a friend, just like you talk with a spouse, just like you, you talk with a loved one. Open your lips Talk to him. Spend time in prayer. Number four, the fourth one, principle of being missional and serving Christ. Staying in that place of being a mission is fellowship. Fellowship. You know, we need to be in church. We need to be in church. We need to come early, stay late, and surround yourself with like-minded believers. Again, some of the most important ministry that takes place in a church is before and after service when we're spending time with each other. And we're talking with each other. And by the Holy Spirit, we're encouraging one another. Ladies, find some sisters in Christ that you can go out with and have fellowship. Spend quality time with brothers and sisters in Christ. Us men, we got to be rubbing shoulders. We got to be talking to each other. We got to be holding each other accountable. We got to be encouraging each other. We got to be helping each other. That's fellowship. Fellowship is when we build a relationship, it is when we go out and we have a meal together. 
and we get to know each other. These things, family, they sound real simple, and you may hear them Sunday after Sunday, but keep in mind, these will be the things that will keep you spiritually alive, okay? These are, these are survival, survival 101 for the believer. And finally, do the most daunting task of them all, and that's share your faith, evangelism. Evangelism is part of being missional and serving Christ. My goal in this world is to serve Christ and to share him with as many people as I can. You know, you can share the gospel with people. Sit down with them. Explain to them the cross. Explain to him his resurrection. Explain to them what he offers them. You know, explain to them the command to repent and put their trust in Christ. Explain to them what it means to be born again. Even share your testimony. Share your testimony of how you came to Christ. But reach out to people and ignore their facial expressions. Ignore their responses. Because a lot of times what we see taking place on the outside is not what's taking place on the inside. And God says his word will, will not turn void. And as we share the scripture with them, we can be assured that God is working on their hearts. Invite people to church, you know. Share the gospel with people, but also be inviting people to church so they can hear the scriptures, they can hear the word. That is evangelism. When you do these five things, I believe this will keep you from becoming spiritually dead. When Calvary Chapel, Irmo, or any church for that matter, you put the, fill in the blank. If any church does these five things, this will keep them from falling into the same thing that happened at Sardis where Jesus says that they are dead. You know, we don't want to be known as a dead church. We want to be known as an alive church. As people that God has poured out his Holy Spirit, people that are born again, spirit-filled, loving Christ, loving people, and serving all those around us. Let's be that church. Let's be that alive church. And let's not, let's not slip into tradition and, and liturgy and just going through the motions and becoming a morgue. But let's be alive and let's be missional. Amen? Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, for the study of Sardis this morning. Lord, we, uh, I pray, Father, for these things that we've talked about, Lord. Let the word of God be rich and deep at Calvary Chapel. Let the worship be rich and deep here in our church and in everyone's home. Father, help us all, God, to be people of prayer. Help us to seek you as a church body, but also help each believer here, Father, every man, woman, and child here to seek you on their own in their prayer closet. Lord, help us to enjoy fellowship here at church, in our homes, out for dinner, life groups, whatever, Lord. Help us to make sure we're spending quality time. And then, Lord, the big, the big one, help us to evangelize. Help us to reach out to those around us with the love, grace, and truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. In your awesome and holy name I pray.